0: Welcome again to the Professional Services Pursuit, a podcast featuring expert advice and insights on the professional services industry. Again, I'm Brent Trimble, and my guest today. I'm really excited for this episode. and and sequentially, a series of episodes is a leader who's been on a mission to reinvent the way businesses do work for quite some time. And in particular, professional services businesses. He's on the executive board at Fast Company and is the founder of MavenLink and executive chairman of Cantata, Ray Granger. Ray, it's great to have you on the show.
1: Brent, it's a pleasure to be here. Looking forward to the conversation.
0: I'm really excited about this series of podcasts. And we're gonna we're gonna kick this one off around this topic of the the networked economy and in in particular its its relevance, and the way it's transforming the way services firms do business, and particularly talent-based businesses. And we'll talk about the current state, some evolution, and then eventually how more bleeding-edge technologies are really pushing the boundaries of connecting talent in services in the space. And you know, as we get into this, we'll think a little bit about the networked economy and the progression to this state. I read a great article in the MIT Technology Review by uh, Vivek Bapat, and he noted that, you know, we've gone through, of course, stages of economic development, the explosion of the IT economy, and then how information turned into the internet economy and uh, much more fluid, adaptable, and accessible information, and then how this is now... Transforming into the network economy, and I think for most of us, we live the network economy every day—peer-to-peer relationship to brands, to payment systems, to customer service, and of course, the the IT economy sort of fueled that growth. But Vivek noted that this is an emerging type of economic environment arising from the digitization of fast-growing, multi-layered, highly interactive real-time connections among people, devices, and business. And Ray, you've had an extraordinary and fascinating career in leadership, leading firms from this IT revolution to where, where we are now. I'd love for you to just walk us through that a little bit, just to set the stage.
1: Sure, happy to. And uh, I really, really am looking forward to talking about this particular topic When I look at my own background and and what led up to the current participation as a technology leader, uh, enabling talent networks within this networked economy, and I look back at the beginning of my career, I have the benefit of, of having been in business for over 35 years. And when I look back across that time period, it's easy to string together these pearls of this networked economy and how we got to where we are. And then, you know, based on that, have some reasonable prediction of where we're going. Right. And when I look back, when I first started in terms of how people communicated with each other in business at the time, let's call it, you know, uh, late 1980s, people didn't have email yet, right? Broadly, some companies had it within their companies, but certainly those, those systems didn't communicate outwards other than people working in government sector. So most people communicated either by being in person together, and that was their world and their community, and at best, they had voicemail systems. A popular one back then was the Octel system. It seemed like everybody had Octel, and that's the way you would communicate was through voicemail. It was asynchronous. So there was a lot of latency in the communication. And, you know, and then, you know, several years later, when, you know, we had the information superhighway, you know, now known as, you know, World Wide Web and internet ubiquitously, uh, in 93, you know, people started to have access to better access to corporate emails, e- email that intercommunicated with other email systems broadly. And so you had this continuation of the speed at which people uh, communicate, you couple that with, uh, you know, globalization that started, um, you know, way before that, right? Where people were moving operations to different countries and leveraging labor pools and talent all over the world, and then the progression now to you know the hyper-connected world. You can kind of see how it all fits together. I had the benefit when I was a uh, uh, managing partner at Accenture to work with a lot of high-tech companies. And what I saw was they're taking full advantage, not only one of being the technology companies laying the infrastructure for all this hyper-connected world in which we live in today, but also participating in globalization, leveraging resources across the globe. And so, so it's just been a good perspective now to look at how all this has evolved and then you know start thinking about the implications to the services businesses of which I spent a lot of time either in or helping and what it means to the talent networks that they leverage in order to run their businesses.
0: That's I mean, having the benefit of that seeing connectivity in its infancy and then having that really prescient foresight to see where it could go is a, is a really compelling arc. And when I was thinking about this episode I, I looked back at a couple different articles and, and HBJ had one around the dawn of the Elance economy. It was written 24 years ago. So it's really interesting. But like you, some of, the, some of these leaders were saying there's going to be, because of what we're building now, this infrastructure, this backbone, eventually this progression into a networked economy, that I'll quote that elastic hubs of talent joining together for compelling projects, then disbanding. And reconstituting, coming back together for others, the authors said that individual workers will circulate throughout the Elance economy as independent agents joining together into temporary companies as opportunities arise. And then in our, the, the MIT journal that we quoted earlier, the networked economy will create entirely new ways of working. It'll change the contract between employers and workers that have been in place for decades, if not centuries. The whole idea of employees and the relationship to business will be reimagined. It sounds like, as you were leading and observing and, and really driving change for these talent networks that were within large services companies, globalization, the arbitrage of labor markets, that you were really laying the foundation and, and sort of synthesizing this information that eventually. Led you to the the founding of Mavenlink now now Cantata. Give us some give us some insights there and in how you you started to see that the need arise. Sure.
1: Well, one of the things that was very clear and that led to not only my own I think personal success but what I observed in other people having success within the large consulting firms is they are really a network of talent pools around the world. So you might have 100 or 200 or 300 people in a particular office in a particular location. And your clients' demands were unending uh, in terms of what they needed, the talent required to deliver on those outcomes. And so, especially back in the day where you had limited internet and you know, using voicemails, you had to really build a, a network. And it, and it was really a lot of your own effort in building that network where you knew the talent was so that you can effectively deliver on what your clients were, were asking. Over time, of course, with email, it got easier to do. But these firms uh, did and still operate because of their scale as a network of talent across the globe. I had some consulting engagements. I had one in particular where there was, I had a client, a wonderful client that had about 8,000 people spread around the country in 10 different offices. And they were all, you know, masters or PhDs, about two thirds of the of their talent was was very, very skilled and and educated. And yet they struggled to identify where the talent was in order to deploy them on the right projects to get the best outcomes for their for their clients. And so I was engaged to help reinvent that. This was actually in 1993. Uh, and so to, you know, similar to the, to the Elance economy, recognizing, okay, what is their network and looking at talent, you know, based on uh, a, a network concept and thinking about a supply chain kind of orientation was where I had my thinking or my head in the, in the, you know, middle nineties, middle to the end nineties. So similar to the article on the Elance economy, HBR, I, I recognized that being networked, was everything in this business, right? And knowing uh, who was where and if they're available and how I can get them. Uh, Most of the firms, the large firms still operate principally in a tribal knowledge or or manual way in terms of of identifying talent. And it's really a, a series of people to go through to get there. And based on my client work and my own experience, recognizing that the technology uh, boom was precipitating a real diverse set of skill requirements that you needed to assemble. This whole move to digitization of everything, the range of skills required and the high demand I mean, I needed to deliver it now required a new way of thinking around how to enable the services industry. And that really led to the establish of, of establishment of MavenLink, which in its name was you know, Maven, these experts being linked. Together, really was the fundamental concept. And doing that required a very data-driven process, right? To, again, I use the term supply chain orientation in the thinking, which is a very heavily data-driven exercise across clients, your firm suppliers and how to think about this this whole delivery in terms of a network and supply chain orientation. So that was really the, the genesis of just a lot of experience and living in it day to day and then seeing where a connected world was going to allow us to to end up. And of course, I think most people now can identify with that, having gone through the pandemic, the entire world all at once, experiencing a work from anywhere, uh, an approach and having survived it, and some actually having thrived or productive through this period, that I think that this idea now that people can be uh, more independent, they can perhaps be multi-affiliated with different companies and have a demand source that's global, and they can provide their services anywhere in the world. So it it accelerated it both technology as well as the pandemic that we all went through the change at once, right? And so this was the sort of the lead up to building Mavenlink. Is whereas well you know what I see being able to do in the future in terms of enabling this new economy.
0: The, the big five and Accenture in particular really make the market. I mean they're 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 market leaders, and in many ways. Defined services delivery, you know, whether it's managed, managed service delivery, consulting strategy, implementation, transformation. And I'd love to dig in a little bit on those experiences because these firms, you know, the Accentures, the, the Deloitte's and so forth, really define and drive or drove that notion of, of talent networks. And you've got a, a new joiner, a recent grad goes to you know back in Arthur Anderson and, and even Accenture, I think Lake Charles, and they start their career and their orientation around this notion that as they progress in the firm, they take on more responsibility, build expertise, build career tracks. But this notion of the network is key. Now, the network, of course, is contained within the firm, but it's drilled in that ultimately building that network results in you know that the the notion of the network being their net worth but ultimately even today a bit the, these are still very closed systems they're massive I mean you look at look at I I, I don't have the latest Accenture uh, valuation or, or or employee count but it's you know something like half a billion colleagues worldwide yeah, it's they're,
1: they're, they're closing it on 600 yeah I mean it's it's, right it's, now.
0: it's it's massive yet that's still a contained network so with your experience being on the inside, then the notion of of forming and building Mavenlink with an eye toward the future, what are some of the pressures you see on the current staffing services expertise model, and how do you think it needs to evolve?
1: Sure. Um, to you know illustrate, I think, what's going on now and where I think it needs to go, talk a little bit more about what the, the big five, in particular Accenture and my experience there and what I've observed since the big firms, principally uh, throughout most of their history, and again the big firms that are you know consulting today, the PwCs, the Deloitte, Accentures, KPMGs, uh, you know, uh, KPMGs, etc. Most of them grew on what I refer to as an academy model. You alluded to it a little bit, where where the growth was done principally by local offices hiring locally typically from local universities, bringing in you know, high potential candidates, taking them through very, very rigorous training. Many, many, including Accenture, had their own academy training centers, right? In Accenture's case in St. Charles, Illinois, where they were able to build uniformly around the world, Methods, techniques, tools, and general education around how to be a good consultant. And they did that through, again, this academy model where people progressed throughout their career and then you know, began to learn from others through their deployments on projects and clients. That worked pretty well up to a point. Um, when I joined the firm, we were somewhere between ten and 20,000 people, uh, so you know, large by any standards, but far smaller relative to the 600,000 that the firm has today. And so you could grow a firm and, you know, keep a pace with market at, you know, 15, 20% growth rates by using that academy model. But the minute that the world got sped up through the Internet, through this hyperconnectivity, through an explosion of technology in every company having an, an imperative to digitize all of their experiences the range of skills required and the speed at which i was required to deliver to our clients changed and that's for everybody that's for the large firms as well as the niche firms that specialize in a particular area those those pressures are still there and it's very competitive clients have a much better understanding of what they should pay for services services providers or services cost make up you know, perhaps 30, 40, even 50% of their payroll costs are to deliver to external providers. And so, so the, the whole landscape has changed. And Accenture, as many may know, their response, one, to grow the firm and two, enter new markets, was to do numerous acquisitions of talent. Accenture has become one of the most acquisitive companies in the world. I think last year they did something like 110 acquisitions alone in the single year. And I think they're on pace similarly for this year. So they've responded through acquisition of talent. Now, most people, it would be difficult to do that much acquisition. Accenture feels compelled to do that one in order to grow because they're going to turn over another 100,000 people a year, right? We'll leave the firm. And so how do you make that up and still grow the firm? It's through acquisition is their, their model, as it is for many others, too, that are on the larger end of the spectrum. It's also one of the only ways they can meet the, the demand for diverse talent. So this, this idea of cycling through your workforce is considerable. Now, they can do it, as you mentioned, it's this large sort of self-contained network, and they're growing it through acquisition and bring in new people, but in order to feel confident that they can control the supply, right, that they acquire. I think the new model moves beyond that for most people. Most people can think about what might, again, I, I bring up this term supply chain orientation. People are often reluctant to use that term when it relates to people, but it's the thinking that goes behind it around how to think about your workforce that goes beyond your, your full-time employees and really thinks about the network of partners that you can bring to bear at any given time to leverage the demand in the marketplace and the skills requirements. So this idea of an asset light services firm, asset meaning permanent full-time employees, allows you to be more nimble, respond to markets much more quickly I think manage to a higher profitability and make good on the promises to your clients that you will deliver the best talent to help them achieve their outcomes. And so I think this idea of talent networks that go beyond the firm, that is a really ecosystem of people, and that the changes are pretty dramatic when you look at uh, how people need to manage their businesses uh, based on that and have people be these really talented orchestrators that go beyond their own business boundaries is I think where we're headed pretty quickly.
0: And I want to follow up on that notion of orchestration but but before that you know the it, there's there's two sort of barriers we see in the market. One is that this notion of software or technology as an enabler in the space of professional services automation hasn't really been keeping pace or hasn't been adopted and what's really remarkable is you know you look at you look at an Accenture all the way down to a niche consultancy who are deploying talented people with great insight and expertise to transform their business yet those firms have been slower to adopt maybe transformative software in kind of that cobbler's children's shoes phenomenon so you know with those two things those two tensions. One, the PSA sort of arena needs to transform. And then conversely, the behavior on the behalf of the services firm, where do you where do you see that going?
1: Sure. Well, contextually, I think and historically, the large services firms were kind of bifurcated, meaning that there's the corporate dimension of the firm, which is they handle, I'll call it a shared set of services. For, for the rest of the firm, which is deployed to clients, to projects, and they're sort of outside that part of the business, meaning they're, they're, they're effectively in the field delivering. And so the, they're somewhat autonomous or have been historically somewhat autonomous to go use their skills and expertise to deliver in any way they see fit for those clients. While there may be some dimensions of common delivery methods and those kinds of things, it was really kind of an autonomous group out there as long as they're delivering to the profit <laughs> targets of the corporation. They were pretty free to do what they needed to do in order to make that client successful. And so from a systems perspective, uh, most of what was acquired, is what I'll call is, is managing the, the financial capture of what was going on out in the field. And so the, the tools, at least from a corporate standpoint, were somewhat limited to call it you know, time tracking, right? And some level of margin project accounting, both at an engagement portfolio, you know, region, et cetera. So this roll up across firms that became much more paramount to do much better financial capture as these firms began to go public, right? One notable one that I think probably did a poor job of that was, uh, was Point ended up going bankrupt after 100 years of being a private company because their lack of i think effective financial capture across the whole dimension. So I think this this bifurcation of you know the field can kind of be autonomous and do what they want as long as the corporate needs were being met which were principally financial capture is the history of most of, of PSA at least in the large firms and a lot of that was actually custom built and and then added on to from you know SAP Oracle you know those types of, of ERP systems what is i think driving a lot of change today is that it's insufficient anymore to rely solely on you know these big engagements running over a long period of time where you could you know flub up in the beginning and make up margin at the end and so just trust me everything's going to be okay stay off my back i think that's becoming less of a of a viable path engagements are shorter these companies are many of them are public uh, companies, and they're they're held to a different standard in terms of of the, of the market, and so I think that there is this notion of thinking about you know supply chain orientation across the entire spectrum, and this would include having a consistent method of engagement, planning, and estimating, for example, right? So, so to have some predictable, codified way of this is this type of an engagement. This is the level of its complexity. This is the the type or these are the type of resources that were historically deployed to high success in these types of engagements. It moves it out of the tribal knowledge state. And as these firms are hiring more and more people that don't have the benefit of that tribal knowledge or history to engage in a system that's much more uniform and predictable, so so you're seeing the the emergence of engagement planning uh, a capability that gives you very very high uh, demand signals that are fairly accurate that can then move through called the planning and execution cycle, which which you see a lot of adoption out there for which with with the call collaborative work management tools. Now our products also embed those types of technologies, but but you also see people buying them independently out in the field. Because to some degree, they're still thinking they can op- operate autonomously, right away from what I'll call the financial capture dimension. When you think about coupling all of the engagement planning, so you have very, very good demand signals with the planning and execution, and then you tie in optimizing resources, right? So this, again, supply chain orientation of optimizing across then a talent network, everything changes, Right. More firms can participate. Smaller firms can now really effectively participate with large firms because they've got an unlimited demand or supply. Right. If they are good network people, they've got an unlimited supply or potentially unlimited supply. So they can operate with infinite scale. And so they can they can compete, grow faster if they adopt. Uh, one technology more broadly and do this now. I'm I'm seeing some of this emerge in the large firms. Most of that is being developed by themselves. It's quite costly, and I think the, the independent software market is emerging so fast, and it's much easier to, to build and deploy technology that I don't think they'll keep pace. But that's what I see going on in the market.
0: So, would you would you started to describe? I think ties into this this concept of orchestration and we've We've just gone through a new branding and positioning and and uh, centered on a new brand to the market called Cantata, which you know just by friendly coincidence has this as a musical connotation and and, and orchestration. So in it in a perfect world where maybe technology weren't the barrier, what what would you see as an orchestration model where where talent, client demand, fit maybe propensity of success and, and sophistication come together what would that look like
1: sure well yeah so imagine a world where technology wasn't a constraint in your business that you really had access to the right information the right data at the right points in each part of your uh, part of the value chain in order to make really effective decisions so technology enabled you to operate in that way which would take a, you know much more of the whipsaw out of your your entire you know, supply chain, what that allows you to do then is focus on demand generation, branding marketing, growing your firm, taking on potentially a new business that you might not have anticipated previously because you're a higher it's, there's a higher likelihood that you will be able to get the supply of talent that you need to deliver on that. So you're now able to move beyond just being a niche provider. You've got these great client relationships. They trust you. They rely on you. They'd like for you to be able to do more for them. And historically, you would have been supply constrained and stayed to your, your niche. Now, with this you know infinite data, being able to operate at infinite scale because you've got access and you've curated, nurtured, have access to new partners, everybody is sharing availability, skills, talent all over the globe and allows everybody then to participate equally in this market, given that the demand is still so high for services, most services firms are really supply constrained today. They're they're unable. In fact, they're probably growing at half the rate that they could. If they had uh, a better access to a talent network, right, and being able to operate with this idea of of unlimited capacity or unlimited scale, so that's what, what could and would happen in a world where we operated with uh, supply chain orientation, orchestration as a mindset, and all the data to in order to operate like that.
0: That's that's great, and I think many services leaders would be would be thrilled to be growing at two x the rate. That you highlighted there, rather than uh, being being constrained really by by their supply. Before we we wrap, I'm just curious to know. You know, you you have an opportunity now in your your chairman role and your leadership role, both helping cultivate and inform and, and guide the trajectory of Mavenlink, Kimball, now Cantata, and then conversely talking to clients in in the Big Five at individual corporations. Do you have any examples of of either niche tech technologies, of course, our own product roadmaps, very exciting, but or firms that are putting some of this into practice that might be of interest um, where you see good examples of at least the beginning of an orchestration being manifest.
1: Sure. Well, I think one services firms are recognizing this need for managing their workforce more holistically and thinking beyond the, just the employee base. I did a, a webinar the other day hosted by a consulting magazine where we had the head of people, right their chief people officer of Deloitte as well as the CEO of MBO Partners former uh, managing partner at PwC and and we all agreed and, and and concluded around this talent network concept. So I think that that's a direction that you know companies are going to be going so there this supply chain orientation broad workforce work from anywhere access talent around the world is a theme that we're going to see more and more of so our aim at cantata is to be able to be the choice technology provider for the services industry and to to enable that entire value chain from demand planning all the way through you know billing financial capture resource optimization et cetera and everything in between so we want to be that that place that people go to for that. When you look at where the emerging technologies and and, um, uh, really excited about some startups, some firms a bit more mature. This idea that I mentioned earlier of engagement planning, I think is really, really important. It sort of starts the process of people doing things right to begin with. This is typically today done on spreadsheets. And again, just based on the experience of whatever engagement manager I've assigned To the role, right? And so being able to orchestrate data across your sales systems and then into your execution systems much more uniformly, I think is a really, really good area. Another area that I really like is that there are some. Firms that are developing technology around what I'll call defining the skill sets of the industry. One of the things in order to be good at resource optimization is you have to describe what you need in clear terms. And so firms are using AI to uh, synthesize what would be the de facto skill set based on the way people expressed it, right? So, building this ontology of skills for the entire industry that I think will be a big enabler of the talent ecosystem. So, those are two in particular that I see uh, firms developing on, and ones that we're very interested in.
0: Well, oh, that's 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 great, and that's fascinating. We'll we're going to go into a few of those in our in our follow up sessions, and. As part of this series, it's been a really great kickoff to ground ground us. I think in our in our in our listeners in the notion of that the talent networked economy. In the next series, we're going to talk through some firms that are going through that evolution, leaders, and you'll coordinate those conversations. We're going to talk a little bit about firms that are going outside the walls and and how does that relationship with with more fluid talent networks evolve. And then I think, you know, you reference kind of AI as a supply chain enabler and um, a predictive platform for services firms, really building out those taxonomies and skills and ontology for the future. So I look forward to those sessions and going in detail. But first of all, thank you. And I know our listeners will really appreciate the insights. I mean, hearing the progression from very closed analog systems from the IT age all the way up through where we're going with Cantata has been really fascinating.
1: My pleasure, Brent. Really enjoyed the topic. Looking forward to the follow-on.
0: That'll be great. And then as always, feel free to reach out to me or us with any follow-up questions on the topics we've described, ideas for the future episodes, and any general feedback at podcast at cantata.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know by giving the show a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform and leaving a comment. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, you can do so anywhere you get podcasts, on any podcast app. And to learn more about the power of Cantata's purpose-built technology, go to cantata.com. Thanks again for listening.